it's hard to know which relationships are strong until you go through something difficult. And I've got a friend, he attends here at Cornerstone. And one time in the lobby, we had a conversation and he said, hey, I don't trust a relationship until we've been through something hard, until we've had some sort of disagreement, because I don't know what that person is like until I do something they don't like, until we disagree with each other, until we're on opposite sides of some sort of issue. And so he's like, I don't know what a relationship is until we kind of go through it together. And, and we all experienced this over the last several years. We saw incredible disagreements over things like these things. And just by a show of hands, because I think we live in the same place, but we may have different experiences. How many of you had a friendship negatively impacted by the chaos of 2020 and 2021? Raise your hand. Okay, probably at least half the room. I know so many people who had close relationships, and now those people you're not talking to, you've at least muted on Facebook, if not unfriended on Facebook. They're no longer welcome at Thanksgiving. Your relationship that was so close is now so far away. And it's amazing that relationships that we thought were strong can just shatter. And I certainly experienced that. There are people that I thought I was super close to, that we had trust, that we had a great relationship. And then we went through some chaos and we saw maybe things weren't what we thought they were. But the good news is I also had some of the other kind. I've got a, a person that, that I now call a friend. Apparently, my wife and I use that word differently. I use it more liberally. She uses it more conservatively. Um, I call people friends. She goes, you've talked to them like one time. How can they already be your friend? Because I walk into a room with all new people. and I go, these are all future potential friends of mine. You know, that's just how I see a room like that. And so there's this guy. We'd always were into each other at the same coffee shops or the same restaurants. I mean, it's Prescott. It's not that big. So you're going to see people. And we would just have conversations. We never had anything scheduled. Took us years to get each other's phone numbers. And, and yet, right at the beginning of 2020, we connected. And, and I reached out for help with something. And then later, he reached out to me for help with something else. And, and, and we started checking in on a weekly basis with each other. And often, the text was something like this. How are you really doing? Because we all know that, that when people say, how are you doing, they don't always want to know. Hi and how are you doing can kind of be interchangeable. And so often I will say, when somebody says, how are you doing? Well, do you really want to know? Do you have time? And then I can tell from their face whether they want to actually get the real answer or not. And so with this guy, we started exchanging texts, how are you really doing? And we were both going through some hard things. And what happened to us is that the adversities that we were going through separately made what we had together stronger than ever. It was actually a season where both of us went through a really hard year and we were checking in with each other and supporting one another and encouraging one another that we actually found that we had a relationship that had capacity for great strength. At the same time, both of us were also seeing relationships that we thought were incredibly strong just fall apart. So I'm not here today as an expert to tell you that I have solved how to build strong relationships because I haven't. If I've learned anything, I've learned it the hard way. I've learned it from failure. I've learned it from mistakes. But if you're new to Cornerstone, I just want to loop you into what we're doing. My name is Scott, and we're in a series called Find Your People, Developing Healthy Relationships in a Lonely World. And three weeks ago, we started this series. We said, hey, we have a problem, and it's a problem of loneliness and isolation. 
more than half the population eats all of their meals alone. A significant portion of the population feels less connected now than they did three years ago with people around them. Many of us would say, hey, if I had a crisis, I don't have two or three people I could call on speed dial and know they would be there for me, whether that's emotionally or in person. We've got to talk about this. In week two, we explored this challenge of vulnerability. It's, it's hard to open up. It's hard to let other people see the real you and know what's going on and let them in. And how do you do that without getting hurt? Or how do you do that if you've been hurt? Last week, we said, hey, there's a challenge of spiritual attack that part of the reason relationships are so hard is that our enemy doesn't want us to have them. And so how do we build those relationships so they can get healthier? healthier? And then today, we're going to talk about this. How do we strengthen our relationships? Because sometimes you have in your circle of people, people that could become your people, but those would require strengthening to get there. So if you've got a copy of our handout today and uh, you want to take notes, here's the first blank to fill in. The big idea. The big idea is this. A strong relationship with Jesus equips us to build strong relationships with people. In this series, we're not saying, hey, if you get a friend, that friend is going to save you. You know, there's only one savior. That's Jesus. And when we build a strong relationship with Jesus, what happens is we get equipped to then take those relationships into everywhere else in our life. There's an old illustration about vertical relationship and horizontal relationships, that as we get a stronger relationship with God, it equips us for all the relationships we have here on earth. And so today, what I want to share with you is just three observations about strong relationships. And the first one comes from the book of Romans. So if you brought your Bible with you today, I'm so glad to hear that. I'd love for you to open it up to the book of Romans. Romans is near the back of the Bible in the section we call the New Testament. Uh, It's written by a guy named Paul, and it's bookended by Acts and 1 Corinthians. And and Romans is a dense book. I mean, there's so much in Romans. We're just going to like bounce in and bounce out and you'll see from just this short section that there's so much in Romans that that he explores in terms of theology and significance about who God is and what God's done in our lives. But in Romans 5, 12 and then in 15 to 17, we see a little bit about this strong relationship with Jesus. And here's what Paul says in verse 12. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Now jump down to verse 15. Paul goes on to say, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass, which is a Bible word for sin, the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by one man's trespass death death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So here's the the first observation that we can pull from this passage in Romans. Every unhealthy relationship pattern points us back to the garden. 
And every healthy relationship pattern points us towards Jesus. Now, as we're reading through uh, Paul today, if you're a kid, I just want to encourage you, don't write like Paul writes. He's inspired by God, but man, the guy runs every sentence on longer than your English teacher would allow. I mean, if you're reading it, you're like, Scott, this is kind of clunky. Yeah, because Paul just has clause after clause after clause and comma after comma. Um, He writes these huge run-on sentences. But in those sentences, what we see is he's saying something happened in the garden with Adam that affected all of us. And we've talked about this every week in the series, that, that our unhealthy relationship patterns, they point back to what happened in the garden. Just as Adam sinned, we sin. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and we're all experiencing it. And the things that they experienced when sin entered the world in terms of their relationships, we experience too. We experience shame. We experience the temptation to hide from one another. We experience the the temptation to hide from God. We experience the challenge of being vulnerable with God and vulnerable with each other. All of those are garden sins. And so those patterns that our relationships fall into, they point back to the garden. They're not new problems. They're not new challenges or new sins. They're very old. But what Paul also says is just as Adam sinned and failed, Jesus comes and Jesus does what Adam was unable to do. Paul describes Jesus as a second Adam. Jesus comes and where, where, where Adam was imperfect, Jesus is perfect. Where, where Adam fell to temptation, Jesus overcame temptation. Where, where Adam was unable to do the things God asked him to do and avoid the one thing God told him not to do, Jesus comes and he is fully God and fully man without sin. And so what Paul is saying in in Romans 5 is that, that Jesus has come and not only saved us, but pointed us to how we can live truly healthy relationships. Put another way, Jesus comes and makes it possible for us to have our first truly healthy relationship with him. And the thing that all of us have in common, whether you raised your hand earlier or not, all of us know what it looks like or feels like to be in an unhealthy relationship. All of us have experienced that. And Jesus comes and he becomes for us the first healthy relationship because you know if you're in a relationship with Jesus and things aren't good, it's not on Jesus's end that things aren't good. It wasn't like Jesus hasn't been showing up in the way you needed him to show up, or he was being uncompassionate or unempathetic, or he just was out to lunch. No, no, he is there and he continues to show up in that way. And kids, later today, you're going to see Tucker get in the water and get baptized, and he's going to testify about how he's become in a relationship with Jesus and the difference that it's making in his life. And one of the things that we've discovered as a church is that that all of us, regardless of age, end up in places where we need help because we may find Jesus as our first truly healthy relationship, but we have lots of other ones that are unhealthy. And sometimes it takes some help to work through that. And so several years ago, we decided to start building a list of therapists, Christian counselors, that we could connect people to, to help them get some intentional help for a season on what they needed in their relationships. And so in that season, I started interviewing therapists and making sure that people we were going to refer to were trustworthy. 
And one of the people that I met had just moved to Prescott, was just starting their practice, and so she came in and met with me. We had spent about 90 minutes together. I was like, man, I'd go see you if I needed some therapy. It was, it was a great conversation. And she made a comment in that session. Here's what Elizabeth said. She said, I believe that if a person can heal their relationship with God and see God in a healthy way, that healing can empower them to experience healing in their other relationships. So as we heal our relationship with God, and we experience in him a healthy attachment, we experience a genuine sense of of unconditional love and presence, what it does, back to the big idea, is it equips us to build strong relationships with people. So what we're saying in this series, Find Your People, is yes, you need to find some people that are your people, that get you, that you jive with, that you can be comfortable with. But it isn't just, hey, go find your people and good luck figuring it out. It's build a strong relationship with Jesus, experience his love and his grace and his mercy, and then allow that to equip you to build strong relationships with people because you can't give somebody else something you don't have. And if you've never experienced a sense of real love and acceptance, it's going to be hard for you to give that to somebody else. And when you find that in God through a relationship with Jesus, it equips you to build those relationships with people. Now, whenever I bring up counseling, I always want to remind you that we we do have a list of resources at prescottcornerstone.com slash sermon hyphen resources if you are looking for a referral. And if you love Elizabeth like I do, I have good news and bad news. She's great, but she's not taking any new clients because you guys filled up her, her, uh, her client list over the last four years. So, but there's lots of other great people on that list. That's the first observation, that every unhealthy pattern points us to the garden, every healthy pattern points us to Jesus. The second observation is this, that Jesus is the model for strong relationships. Jesus is the model for strong relationships. It's not just that a relationship with him has healing power in our lives, and we need to look to him for that, but he needs to become our model for what does a good relationship look like? What does a strong and healthy relationship look like? look like. And he talked to his own followers about this. If your Bible is still open, go two books towards the front to John chapter 15. John 15. So Romans, and then before that's Acts, and before that's John. In John 15, Jesus is in his final conversation with his disciples before he goes to the cross. This This is the dinner conversation at the Last Supper. We'll celebrate communion next week. And during that meal, the conversation was John 14, 15, and 16. In the middle of that dinner conversation, this is what Jesus says to his closest friends. He says this, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. Now skip down to verse 17. This is what I command you, Jesus says, love one another. What what Jesus does in John 15 is he sets himself up as our example to look towards how do I build strong relationships. And if you look back in your text, if your Bible is still open, look what he says. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Do it like I did. Do it like I am doing. What does love look like? Look at me. 
and love people the way that I have loved you. What, what does he go on to say? No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. That's what he's going to do for them. But what's interesting is when he calls them friends here, it's conditional. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Interesting that you see Jesus speaking in conditional language. He goes on. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. I now call you friends. According to what I could do this week, and I could be wrong, this is Scott. This is infallible. This is very fallible. I think this is the very first moment in the Gospels where Jesus calls his disciples friends. It's significant. He says, I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my Father. And then he closes by saying, this is what I command you, love one another. Later on, he'll say, the way the world will know that you are my disciples is how you love one another. Jesus sets himself up as the example. And and I want to get really granular with this because a friendship with Jesus is different than a friendship with me or a friendship with you. Like, I think I'm a good friend, but I'm not your savior. You're probably a good friend, but I'm never going to call you Lord. That's Jesus. And the way Jesus interacts with his disciples, I think, should be a tremendous model for us. For example, we're called to forgive people like Jesus did with Peter. Have you ever had somebody betray you? Were you being arrested and tried unjustly? Did they, in your worst moment, deny they ever knew you? That's what Peter did to Jesus. And yet he forgave them. We forgive people in relationships because Jesus did that with Peter. We also call it the potential in people, like Jesus did with John. Sometimes being a friend with somebody is saying, hey, I see this in you. And you don't think you're capable of this, but I see this in you. This is what happened with John. John, whose book we were just reading, when he was there for those experiences, he was a teenager. 15, 16 years old. I don't know about you. I'm not sure I would trust the carrying on of the most important message in the world to somebody who can't legally drive. But Jesus saw the potential in John and he called it out of him. Jesus also spoke compassionately to people, like he did with Thomas. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe Jesus until I see the holes in his hand and the the hole in his side. And so Jesus comes back and he says, Thomas, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Weren't you there? Don't you see me here now? That's not what he says. He says, Thomas, come here, touch. Touch. Stop doubting and believe. He speaks compassionately to people who have doubt. Jesus reaches out to messy people. And so we need to reach out to messy people like Matthew. What do you mean messy people, Scott? The people that other people judge for their obvious sin. Matthew's a tax collector. Nobody likes taxes. Nobody likes anybody who makes money on top of taxes. Imagine you go to H&R Block and they tell you, this is how much you owe. And then by the way, here's the extra amount we're going to take too. And by the way, there's not like down the street you can go to another person to do your taxes. This is the only option. Jesus goes to that guy's house. He spends time with that guy. That makes you uncomfortable. How about this? We extend grace to misled and confused people like Jesus did with Judas. Judas had an idea of who Jesus was going to be, and Jesus was not going to be that. And yet Judas had a place even at the Last Supper. And I'm convinced that 
He may have taken his own life in the end, but I think the same grace that Jesus later extends post-resurrection to Peter, I'm convinced he would have given the same grace to Judas if Judas had given him the chance. And so we extend grace when people are misled and confused. And then finally, maybe the most uncomfortable one of all, we eat with people who hold extreme political views like Jesus did with Simon the Zealot. You probably, like me, have some friends who share some wild things on Facebook. Some things you're like, oh, do I mute them again? Do I hide them for another 30 days? Do I unfriend them? What do I do? In the disciples, there was 12. And there's two of them that I think we don't consider the way they compared. Simon the Zealot was someone who, before he began following Jesus, was trying to overthrow Rome through violent means. Rebellions, riots, physical attacks. Those were the zealots. They believed that the Jews should not be ruled by the Romans. They, had, they were like basically the far, far right in our world. And yet, Simon is there at the Last Supper with Jesus. So's Matthew. And Matthew's the guy who's helping the Romans, who's collaborating with the Romans. So you have somebody who's progressive and somebody who's alt-right sitting at the table with Jesus. And friends, if Jesus had room at his table for somebody with extreme political views, and we're called to walk in the model of Jesus, be careful before you write somebody out of your life because they don't agree with your politics. If there's room in the 12 for Matthew and Simon, there's got to be room in our life for people that we don't agree with. Now, there may be times where you need to have a conversation about what they're saying or what they're posting. That's different. But just because they don't agree with the way you vote doesn't mean they get need to be your friend. See, what we see here again and again is that if you're grateful to have a friend like Jesus, then you need to model your relationships after him. And so kids, you have some people in your life that are your friends that are probably hard to be friends with. They're probably challenging to be friends with. And Jesus is friends with you, even when you're a challenge to be friends with. So model your relationships after him. The third observation I want to make is this, that strong relationships are like strong people. They're built over time. When you meet somebody and you're like, man, I admire that person's character, their tenacity, their grit. They weren't born that way. And they didn't come out of the womb that way. They had to be fed, burnt, diapers changed, cleaned up after. They were, they were built over time that way. And so often we misunderstand what actually happens in time. There's a cliche that we've all heard about time. And it goes like this, time heals all wounds. This is the biggest load of garbage you've ever been served. It's not true, even though it's a cliche. Because you and I know people who've gone through hard experiences, who've, who've been hurt and wounded by others, and a decade, two decades have passed, and guess what? They're just as bitter. It wasn't just because time passed and magically their heart changed. Maybe even sitting here right now, you can think of somebody that, that hurts you or, or challenged you. All good. All good, buddy. Yeah, we have, all have moments like that where people hurt us and it's hard. But here's the thing. 
what you do over time and what Jesus does in you, it allows a wound to heal or continue to bleed. It's not that time magically makes it all better. It's what you do in time and what you allow Jesus to do in you that allows that wound to heal. And this is so important because what this means is that if you're sitting here today and say, Scott, I'm not a strong person or my relationships aren't strong, there's good news that where you are today doesn't have to be where your relationships stay in the future. That if you would never attach the word strong to your relationship now, it doesn't mean that the word strong can never be attached to it in the future. And so let's, let's think about, okay, how do strong relationships over time get stronger? I think they need five things. And because I need to remember these, and you remember these, they all start with the same letter, P. Over time, strong relationships need purpose. Our relationships need a sense that between us and the other person, whether it's our spouse or a a kid or a friend, that there is something bigger happening there than you and me. This is why some of your strongest relationships came when you were on a team with somebody, when you literally went to war with somebody, when you walked through a crisis with somebody, when there was a larger purpose present in that relationship, it gave strength to the relationship. This is why when Jesus said to the disciples, come follow me, he didn't say, hey, come hang out with me for three years. We're going to do some stuff. He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's a purpose to this relationship. Strong relationships need a purpose that's bigger than either one of us. Second P, prayer. There's also something more here than you and me. Jesus invites his disciples in the book of Luke chapter 14, I believe, to pray with him in the garden as he sweats blood. The capillaries in his forehead burst from the stress and anxiety mixed with the sweat, and he starts sweating drops of blood as he's praying, and he invites his disciples to pray there with him. I don't know about you, but if there's somebody that I'm having a hard time getting along with, the one thing I don't want to do is pray, because my heart is almost guaranteed to change. If your relationship is in a bad place, one of the things I can guarantee you that will not hurt the future of that relationship is prayer. Praying together shows there's something going on here between us that's bigger than either one of us, that's more than either one of us. The third P is practices. These are the things that we do together. Every strong relationship has a practice that allows those relationships to get stronger. It's the regular repeated patterns. The things that we do occasionally, they don't strengthen our relationships. It's the things we do consistently that strengthen the relationships. For three years, Jesus and the disciples, they ate together, they walked together, they debriefed experiences together, they went through hardship together. Those practices strengthened them. I've got a friend. He and his buddy Fred have been having breakfast every Tuesday for 20 years. 20 years. Now, they've taken vacations, they've gotten sick, so let's just say they even did 40 a year. That's 800 breakfasts. How strong do you think a relationship gets when you do something together 800 times? It's practices. And yeah, they have to still show up at breakfast and be vulnerable, do all the things we've been talking about this whole series, 
But strong relationships involve some things that are just repeated over and over again that strengthen the relationship. The fourth P is pressure. Strong relationships need pressure so that they can test what they've been building. What Jesus does with with Matthew and Peter and John and Simon is he allows pressure to come in and challenge them and test what he's been building in them. When he gets arrested, he doesn't just get arrested by himself. He gets arrested with all of them there. And what happens? They all run away. They all abandon him. So, okay, they're not there yet. What happens when Jesus leaves and and the, the pressure of acts and the oppression and persecution come? It tests what they've been building. And for some of us, what we saw in the last few years is the pressure burst the relationship. It wasn't that strong. But for other relationships, it proved it. It showed you what you've been building all along. And so if you want to have a strong relationship, you've got to have pressure. And then finally, number five, you've you got to have purging. Now, I'm not talking about vomiting or, or some sort of unhealthy physical pattern. I'm talking about getting things out of your life. Some of you in about six weeks, you're going to get the urge to purge. It's called spring cleaning. You get rid of all the things you've been carrying that you no longer need. And this is where we expose the expectations we have. So many relationship problems come down to expectations. Unstated, unagreed on, unrealistic expectations. I love what Anne Lamont says about expectations. She says, expectations are resentments under construction. This is what got Judas because he expected a different kind of Messiah. This is the reason that Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Because they had expectations of who their friend Jesus was going to be, and those expectations unmet led to resentment. And so if you want to build a strong relationship, you got to expose those expectations and purge them, because they will turn a strong relationship into a weak one. And as you build that strong relationship with Jesus, it will equip you to build strong relationships with people. Now, let's be really clear. It says equips us. It doesn't say guarantees. If you build a strong relationship with Jesus, it is not a guarantee that all of your relationships will be strong. Because you know this. You've gone through some seasons where you're getting stronger in your relationship with Jesus, and yet other relationships are getting harder. Jesus does not promise you that you will be healthy, wealthy, and happy. He doesn't promise you that all of your relationships are going to go smoothly. But as you strengthen your relationship with him, that equips you and gives you what you need to build strong relationships with people. So let's put this into practice together today with our next steps. These are on the back of your handout if you're new to Cornerstone. First, I want to encourage you to begin a healing relationship with Jesus. What does that mean? That means you are a person who, because of the sin of Adam, is broken and sinful, and that pattern will continue to show up in every one of your relationships for the rest of your life. And until you experience the healing that comes from having a relationship with your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, you will always look for things from people that only God can give. You will always look for things from your spouse or your friend 
that only God can give you in your heart that satisfies you. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus? Because there are things that only a relationship with Jesus can mend, can heal, can change. And you can do all the relationship with people work horizontally, but until that vertical relationship begins to heal, this won't fully change. So first, you need to begin a healing relationship with Jesus. Number two, I want to encourage you to read through the Gospels in the next 30 days. For those of you who started a Bible reading plan and you've already fallen off, here's a new start. There's two days left after today in January, and there's 28 days in February. That's 30 days. What you could do starting tomorrow is read three chapters a day for 30 days. That would take you through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus. And if you, if you should put this, this challenge on, here's what you would do. Every day, read three chapters and then answer one question. How was Jesus a friend to those around him? In what you read in Matthew 1, 2, and 3, or in Luke 14, 15, and 16, how was Jesus a friend? My conviction is that if you spent 30 days with the prime example of strong friendship, you'd have a long list of what you can be doing with your friendships based upon how he was a friend. And then third, I encourage you to share the five Ps with a friend and determine which one. Don't pick more than two, you overachievers. No more than two that your relationship needs more of now. This you do with your small group. You do this with your family, kids. This could be your conversation with your parents on your drive home. Go through the five Ps. Which ones do our family do well? Which one could we do better? Where are we going to focus? Because again, strong relationships are built over time. That you may not have one today, but that doesn't mean that you can't have one by God's grace in the future. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for how you meet us, what you do in our hearts, and how a relationship with you can heal and strengthen us in a way that equips us to give something and share something with others. We pray that you would work in our hearts and that you would equip us and fill us with what we need to show up in the lives of the people around us in a way that looks like you. We aren't you, but we know that you are helping us to become more like you. And we pray that you would strengthen and equip us for the work that's ahead. In your name we pray. Amen.